James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Can anybody tell me who James is? He was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Reason why I say half-brother, because we know who his mamas was. But they had different daddies, amen? And we know while you're finding it, tell me when you got it, say amen. That it wasn't probably easy growing up being Jesus' brother. Huh? Probably heard it all the time. Why can't you be like your brother? <laughs> you know, growing up in that shadow. Then he was older than the other siblings just under Jesus. He was just the, the brother younger than Jesus. And so I'm sure he grew up with issues. Can I get an Amen. If, if we have brothers and sisters. And growing up under the shadow of Jesus Christ, he even at one time said that his brother was crazy. Do you get it? It's in the scriptures. Look it up. But what happened was, right after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when Jesus came back and he revealed himself to many he revealed himself to his brother James, who at that time was not called an apostle or a disciple. You see, he was already, he was still being kind of living out of a hurt area. He was kind of living out of that sibling area where he wasn't going to surrender to things. He was fighting what he was probably feeling and knowing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like most brothers or sisters do that live under the shadow of an older sibling. But when Jesus revealed himself to him, say revealed. When Jesus reveals himself to somebody, something happens. Something changes. And what happened was, all of a sudden, everything that he knew inside but was fighting in the flesh or fighting because of personal dislikes or wants or any other reasons came into line. Say the picture got clear. And so James, you see here, he writes a book, and the writings and purpose of his writings is he's writing the, 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 the Jews that had gotten dispersed. Okay? They had gotten dispersed, and he's writing them because he wants them, he wants the church, he's writing like a pastor to get mature. He don't want them to stay immature because he knows firsthand the troubles of immaturity. He experienced and he lived in that immaturity for a long time. And so now he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to exalt them. He's trying to equip them and he's trying to direct them how to live a mature Christian life. You see, a lot of people say that Paul writes about the grace of God. Another say that James write about the law. And I think we need to have them both. But if you look more depth in depth on the writings of James, it isn't the law. He tells you what you need to do. But if you look deeper, he tells you in order to do it, something has to be happening in the inside. So it's all about what's inside. Tell your neighbor it's an inside job. Are you with me? He talks about in chapter 3 on how to manage our mouth. 
Everybody loves to talk. Everybody seems to have something to say today. The average American, these are some facts, has 30 conversations a day. We spend a fifth of our lives talking. In one year, our conversations can fill 66 books of 800 pages. Some of us are born with what we call a silver tongue <laughs> or a silver foot in our mouth. We have this natural ability to say the wrong things at the wrong time. Nothing gets open more wrongly and at the wrong time than our mouth. There's a, a story about a grocery stock boy. And this lady asked him if she can buy a half a head of lettuce. So he walks to the back where his boss is and he says, man, um, and he don't know that the lady's following him. He says, this old bag wants a half a head of lettuce, man. He turns around and he sees this lady. He says, and this lovely lady wants to buy the other half. <laughs> Our mouth can get us in a lot of trouble. And James talks more about the tongue than anybody else in the New Testament. Every chapter in the book of James, he will address our mouth and speech. He says that we all stumble if anyone is never at fault in what he says. He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. And you see, a lot of preachers I watch will say, you, you need to do this. And you need to do that. But James doesn't say you. He says we. That sounds like an admission. That sounds to me like somebody that knows where our mouth can get them if you don't learn some control. And he says that if you say that your mouth doesn't do anything wrong, and then you're saying that you are a perfect man. And when he's saying that, he's not saying that you are sinless. When he says perfect or perfection, the Greek word for perfect at the time meant mature. It meant healthy. It meant whole. And it meant complete. You see that he uses the word also whole in chapter 1 when he says to allow patience to have her perfect work so that you may be made whole. And what he means by whole is this. Have you ever been somewhere or going through something and you feel, man, all I need is this. All I want is this. Nobody here needs anything or wants anything. But imagine you go places or anything and inside of you, you got this assurance that you know you have everything you need. I'm complete. I'm whole. I'm lacking nothing. That's what a mature Christian thinks. And what he's saying here is, is that you will be mature. You will be whole. You'll be complete. And you'll be lacking nothing. You'll be walking in the knowledge that you have everything you need. The confidence that should be with a mature Christian. You see, when you go to a doctor and you tell the doctor that you're not feeling good, what's the first thing he says? 
take an aspirin and call me in the morning. He says, stick out your tongue. Amen. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Because your tongue will reveal what's not only inside of you physically, but it will show what's inside of you spiritually. James says that you have to learn how to manage your mouth. You have to learn how to tame your tongue. You have to get your tongue under control. Therefore, let's title this sermon, Don't Let Your Tongue Get You Licked. Huh? You might say, why do I got to do this? It's only words. I'm only kidding. And words are not that important. But according to James, in the book of James, words are significant. He gives us six different illustrations under three different topics, two illustrations per topic to expound. James was a good communicator. And he tells us here and he communicates here under these illustrations. The first illustration is that my tongue will direct where I go. Huh? It has a tremendous influence and control over your life, where you're headed in life and where you're going to be in 10 years from now is controlled by your tongue. Look at your conversations. What is it you talk about all the time? What do you talk about the most? We shape our words and then our words shape us. That's what James says. He says the tongue is small and that it's tiny. And because it's tiny, we tend to think that it's irrelevant. It has tremendous power. In verse 3, he says, consider a bit in a horse's mouth. You have big horses that weigh 2,000 or 3,000 pounds. I love my pastors, Pastor Stevan, Sister Chella. I, I don't know why they trust me. But I love you tremendously. I was so scared today. I knew Pastor flew out, but I knew you were here. And I respect and reverend you. And I love your families. Uh, today I was crying on the way over here. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a romantic, and I thought I served the Pinedas. And I find honor in that. But I have to admit something. In 1977, I stole a Pinedas horse. I was in the ranch, and it was 25 miles to the town and the bus station. So I jumped on that thing. I grabbed the mane. I said, let's go, girl. It was a boy. <laughs> if you ever do that, learn how to ride one first. But you just put a small bit in that big old massive beast's mouth, and you're able to steer it wherever way you want to go. I was pretty good. I could ride it. Okay? Likewise, your tongue controls the direction of your life wherever you want to go. And a little bit of a word or a phrase can influence the total direction of your life. Then he says, consider a ship. Think about a ship 
When we went to Long Beach, I think your mama got sick over there, right? I went to go see the Queen Mary parked. Huge ship, big hotel. And yet to stir that ship, it's stirred by a little rudder to stir that massive ship. The Queen Mary's anchor is the equivalent weight to 10 cars. It's acres large, yet it's stirred by a little rudder. A little rudder can steer that ocean liner into the middle of the waves, winds, and seas. A little rudder keeps it on course, and our tongue is like that. Our tongue is like a rudder that steers. He says, ships, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. My tongue directs where I go. Your tongue is a steering wheel of your life. It's a guidance system. If you don't like the way or where your life is headed, if you don't like the direction your life is going, then change the way you talk. Many people think if the tongue has so much influence, then maybe I should just say nothing. And that's not the answer either. My Bible directs me to talk. My Bible directs me to spread the gospel. My Bible tells me not to neglect the body of Christ. We're to communicate. It just directs us to be wise and mature with it. Not at all. Silent is not the answer. There's another story. Can I tell you another one? Please say yeah, because I have to talk. This Trappist joined a monastery. And for three years, when you first join this monastery, the high priest or the main priest there instructs you that you can't say nothing for the three years. Except for after every year, you can say two words. After the first year, the, mon the, the monk went up to the priest for his two words. And the priest says, what are your two words? And he said, food, cold. After the second year, he went up to the priest again, and the priest says, what are your two words? And he says, bed, hard. After the third year, he goes up to the priest, and the priest says, do you have anything to say this year? And he says, I quit. <laughs> now, the priest says, no wonders all you ever did was complain. James says that your tongue directs where I go. So I must learn how to control my tongue. The second thing he says is, my tongue can destroy what I have. Verse 5, James gives another illustration. He says, imagine the beautiful forest, tall, beautiful trees everywhere. Now imagine it one minute up in smoke, destroyed instantly with a tiny match. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. The Chicago, the Great Chicago Fire in 1871 was called the Great Chicago Fire. It burned from October 8th to October 10th. 
It destroyed thousands of buildings, killed 300 people, caused an estimated at that time $200 million worth of damage. And the story goes that a girl was milking her cow when a cow kicked and tipped over this little lamp. And it caused the great Chicago fire all from a spark. And it caused that much damage. James says that our tongue can destroy just like that. You can lose it all. A careless camper can destroy an entire national forest overnight. Careless words can destroy a life overnight. Thousands of lives. Have you ever met a verbal arsonist? They say Trump is one. I don't know. But their words are always inflammatory. They're always starting fires. And some of them are pyro arsonists. They do it on purpose. Senator Joseph McCarthy, he was a verbal arsonist. He spoke and destroyed lives everywhere he went. And James says that words are like a fire and they can burn people. Why do you think they say you got burned? Because you can burn people with what you say. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will. They hurt. They hurt. Fire and words under control, though, can give tremendous warmth. Fire and words under control can give light. And they can produce a lot of good if they're under control. But fire and words out of control can be very devastating. It can destroy miles and miles of homes and lands and people's lives. In Proverbs 18.20, out of the good news, it says, you have to live with the consequences of everything you say. In verse 6, it says, it sets the whole course of his life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. He's saying here that words can create a chain reaction. If we remember and we think about a lot of times in our life when people had said something to you or me, and then we go and we repeat it, or we let it affect us. We let it get inside of us. And then we go to somebody else and we allow it to move on. It's called a chain reaction. It can have devastating effects that go beyond your control. Later you hear what the repercussions of these kind of actions happen. And you say, oh my God, I just meant this or I just meant that. Or what a dummy, he shouldn't it up. But in reality, we need to admit that we had a part of that devastation. We got to know that our words can either be destroying or building. Just a few inflammatory statements set off a chain of events that we can look back and we call World War II. On a more personal level, let's say you come home from work and you're tired and you're grumpy and you're cranky. That never happens to any of us. And the husband comes in and he yells at his wife. And then the wife hollers at the oldest child. 
And the oldest child yells at the baby sister. And the baby sister kicks the dog. The dog bites the cat. The cat scratches the baby. And the baby bites the head off the Barbie doll. Would have been a lot easier if he just came home and bit the Barbie doll's head. Chain reaction, the course of hell, set on fire. A couple comes in for a marriage counseling. He says, I said this, and then she said that, then I said this, then she said that, then it just went all bad. Huh? Our words have a way of making things just go all bad, like that. James says you have to learn to manage your mouth. Not only because it could direct where you go, but it can destroy what you have. You can lose your family. You can lose your kids. You can lose your career. Simply by what you say, it's like a fire. In Proverbs 21, verse 23, it says, If you want to stay out of trouble, be careful what you say. James uses another illustration. He talks about a zoo. All kinds of animals have been tamed by a man. We've tamed elephants. We've tamed monkeys. We've tamed dolphins. We've tamed dogs. We've tamed cats, right? And, 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 and Pixar over here, they've tamed fish. Nemo. Huh? But he says, but nobody can tame the tongue. It's humanly impossible, he says, to tame the tongue. Only God can do it. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. Tell your neighbor, only God can tame the tongue. The sooner we admit this and stop thinking that we have control over it, the sooner we can start spreading life with our mouth. Humanly speaking, he says that our tongue is restless. That means it's always liable to break out at any moment. When you go to a safari there in Africa, there'll be signs that say, do not get out of your car. Do not roll down your window. Why? Because at any moment, those animals that look so purdy, those animals that look so tame, those animals that look kind and cuddly, at any second, they can just go off and rip your head off. In a second, they're restless, always liable just to break out. You never know what your mouth is going to say either. It's like poison. And poison, the Greek definition is snake. Can I tell you a story, another one? I could. This good Samaritan lady was walking down the street, and she sees a snake on the side of the road dying. A lot of people seen the snake. Nobody stopped to help it. But this good Samaritan see the snake, and so she picked it up and took it home. And every night, she would rub that snake from head to tail, and she nurtured it back to health. And they became best friends. In front of the fire, every night, that lady would rub that snake from head to tail and read it a story, read it a book. And one night, the lady was so caught up in the book that she was reading that she rubbed the snake from tail to head. The snake bit her. The venom's flowing through her body. Rapidly, she feels death coming. And she asked the snake, how can you do this? I nurtured you back to health. I got you out of the street when nobody cared for you. I nurtured you. We became best friends. 
How can you do this to me? And the snake said, easy, lady, you rubbed me the wrong way. Poison, just a few drops can kill you. You can assassinate somebody with your words. You can assassinate their character. The tongue is a deadly weapon, point number three. My tongue also displays who I am. It reveals my real character. It tells what's inside of me. First James points out how inconsistent we are in our speech. In verse 9, he says, The tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father. With the same tongue, we curse me who have been made in God's likeness. From the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. We say these things out of the same mouth. We come to church on Sunday and we praise God with our mouth. We use our mouth to praise God. Then we sing praises. But in the same mouth, we get into our car in the parking lot on the way home and we start an argument. We call somebody stupid. We say, I hate you. And then we're going to go eat lunch. Isn't it amazing how quick your attitude can change in one minute? You say, praise the Lord. Then the next minute you say, shut up. The tongue is a strange contradiction. It is very inconsistent. It's amazing how quickly it can change you like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. One minute we're praising God, then the next minute we're cursing others. And cursing doesn't necessarily mean profanity. It could mean just a put down, a label, like you're good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You're just like this. It's a put down. Any put down is a curse. Now put that in a parking spot for a minute. I'm going to come back to that. Any put down is a curse. They're made in God's image. So why are you cursing them? This gets me bothered deeply. I, I wonder how it's possible that we can love people. We can love our kids, our wives, our husbands. Then the next moment, we can be harsh to them, we can be cold to them, and we can be mean to them. Huh? I went on a little trip. Oh, man, she's here. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> Do I like that guy? I love her. <laughs> I went on a trip with my wife, uh, you know, a couple days, and I was just digging on her, you know what I mean? I was just filling her to the max. And I was thanking God that he pulled us through. I was thanking God that the people in the church that worked with us and worked with us and worked with us and, and, and pounded, you know, to get rid of my idea what a man is and, and our concepts of what marriage is and, and show us and teach us what godly marriage is and our roles and stuff like that. And so today I'm able to enjoy the blessings of all that work that a lot of people put in and the Holy Spirit. And I was just digging on her. And I was just filling on the Holy Spirit, thanking God for keeping me. Because I know it was by his grace. huh? 
And then she went downstairs because there was a, the room was bunk. And Debbie, Debbie could make stuff happen. So she came back up and she says, we, we, I got a refund. And so we found a better hotel, but now I got to carry the bag down in the car and drive a little ways. <laughs> that messed my whole cha-cha up, you know what I mean? Now I ain't praising God. <laughs> huh? Now I'm thinking, why did she do that? Do you understand? Just like that, I was ready to uh, flip a little bit. Of course, I caught myself. I've done this so many times that I've gotten experience that I can catch myself. And I go, hold on. You're about ready to go into this whole dummy act, Greg. And then you're going to regret it. Poop, get back, get back, you know, get back where you belong. Hallelujah. But ain't it funny how one minute you can be loving somebody, then the next minute become harsh and cold and mean to them? Can I get an amen? How is it possible one minute to be talking to your children, gentle, loving, then the next minute you just want to wring their necks? Huh? I'm saying things like you're, you're, able, you're close to saying something that can ruin their self-esteem. Words can build a life, or words can destroy a life. Huh? Little things like you can do whatever you set your mind to can make somebody go and do big things. Or you know what? You just bother the heck out of me and destroy them for life. I grieve over that. And I find myself asking for forgiveness a lot. My first few years, that's all I did. I asked my family over and over to forgive me. Things I did to them. Things I said to them for years. Then they started, okay, Greg, we forgive you. Now come in and shut up, sit down. Why do we do that? Why can we genuinely mean something out of love and kindness one minute, then the next minute, man, we can say mean things and genuinely mean those too? James gives the answer. In verse 11 and 12, he says, Consider the source. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The point is, whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Remember I told you when I began that James isn't all about legalism, but he's talking about the inner man. He says that something has to happen spiritually inside of you, that the Holy Spirit has to be the voice, man, that you tune into. Here it looks like he's talking about your mouth and what comes out of your mouth, but I want to go a little deeper. Can I go a little deeper, man? It ain't just the words that come out of your mouth that is important it's the words that are going on in your head you gotta be thinking on godly things you gotta be meditating on godly words and that will produce your inner man and that will come out man you can try all you wanna try to control your words you can try all you wanna try on controlling your speech but I'm gonna tell you what James says that is impossible how is that working out for you? Not until you meditate on the word of God and what the Holy Spirit tells you, my friend. Then that is what's going to come out of you. 
Remember profanity or, or, or curse isn't just profanity. Any negative thing that you tell somebody, that you're this, that you're that, you're putting a curse on them. And that goes for yourself. Stop cursing yourself. Stop putting curses on yourself. Stop telling yourself that you're nobody. Stop telling yourself that you can't achieve things. Stop telling yourself that you're not called by God. Stop telling yourself that you can't lay hands on people and see them healed. Stop telling yourself that you ain't called to be a leader. Stop telling yourself that you can't forgive people. You are cursing yourself. Tell yourself what the Bible tells you. You're a child of God. You're an ambassador. You're a child of the Most High King. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Huh? The words can build you or words can destroy you. And he says here, consider the source, man, what's flowing through you. If you want good fruit, you got to allow good water. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you ever heard this excuse? Someone says something really mean or hurtful, and they say, I don't know what got into me. <laughs> it's not like me to say that. I don't know what I, why I said that. It's totally out of character. <laughs> I didn't really mean it. James says, yeah, you did. <laughs> he says, yes, it is. It's just like you. You meant it. Stop kidding yourself. If it's coming out of you, we need to make an adjustment, man. Like I had to make an adjustment the other day. I knew something was going to come out of my mouth that was hurtful. I didn't take time out with my wife to hurt her. I took time out to build. And all of a sudden, my mouth was going to say something hurtful. I had to readjust myself. I had to turn off this water. I had to put a dam there. And I had to come back over here and listen to the voice of God that says, Love your wife, man. Spread this. Do this. I had to go and say, Honey, I love you. You're cute. I like the way you did this. We were playing ping pong up there. Hey, it's all right. I'm enjoying my marriage up with you. Hallelujah. Huh? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew says. Jesus explains the fraudulent slip way before that dude Freud even existed. He said, what's inside of you is what's going to come out of you. My tongue just displays what's going on inside. Hallelujah. Hey, Jeff, you could start playing, my friend. Our tongue directs where we go. Our tongue can destroy what we have. And it displays who we are. It directs where we go. And it can destroy what I have. However, most of all, it displays what I am. It reveals my true character. If you have a problem with your tongue, it's more serious than you think. 
you have a heart problem. A person with a harsh tongue, you have an angry heart. And a person with a negative tongue, you have a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue, you got an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A person who is critical all the time has a bitter heart. On the other hand, a person who is always encouraging has a happy heart. Abraham. A person who speaks gently has a loving heart. Person who speaks truthfully has an honest heart. What's the solution? Get a new heart. You have to get a new heart. Ezekiel says, rid yourself of all the offenses that you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed. You see, forgiveness, you have to know that you've been forgiven. You have to know that has been washed away. My Jesus Christ died thousands of years ago for every sin I've committed, for every sin that we're going to commit. Stop thinking that you're not good enough for God's love or forgiveness. Some of us are still holding on to things in the past. He don't love you because of who you are. Stop thinking that you're no good or not good enough. None of us is. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. We need to accept his forgiveness. We need to let him wash us pure and clean. And stop chasing the garbage truck, getting back your garbage after you've been forgiven here. We get here and we have beautiful altar calls. We lay it all down. And some of us, before we get back into our cars, man, we pick it back up. We don't know how to act without that jacket of guilt, that jacket of, of shame. Jesus don't care what you did or when you did it. He died to cleanse you for you can walk and live free. Stop cursing yourself. Tell yourself, I am somebody today. You see, you can paint the outside of a pump but it don't make no difference if there's no passion in the well I can change the outside and I can turn a new leaf but what I really need is a new life what I need is a fresh start I need to let go of my past I believe there's something here for each one of us God wants all of us to become mature are you mature 
Do you feel like you need something? Do you need to know that you have everything tonight? I encourage you to come to this altar and cry out to God and lay everything here once and for all.